0: This is tape number 18 of Dr. Joel Hunter's series, Faith from Heaven to Earth. The subject of his message is Faith and Children, and from the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is found in Proverbs, verse 6, and Matthew, 19, verses 13 through 15, and it reads as follows. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Then some children were brought to him, so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them, but Jesus said, Let the children alone, and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And after laying his hands on them, he departed from there. And now, let's join in for praise and worship, followed by Dr. Joel Hunter's message, Faith and Children, message number 18 of the series, Faith from heaven to earth.
1: We're going to have a little more worship after uh, the message tonight. We're going to need it because uh, the message tonight is about parenting young children. It will be relevant to you whether or not you have young children. Um, Let me give you the context again. All year we've been preaching on faith. And this last part of the year we are talking about how God builds faith in the most intimate of our relationships. How he has constructed our relationships so that we need the same things to build into a healthy relationship with one another that we need to build into a healthy relationship with him and to reflect his glory. Very wonderful way to make the universe. And now we're taking this little jog on parenting. I started last week uh, with an overall view on uh, what spiritual leadership is, as far as parenting or as far as any spiritual leadership. And if you missed that and haven't gotten the tape, let me just remind you of the four main points. Those that are looking to you for spiritual leadership need four things from you they need your presence, they need your purity, they need your perspective. And they need your perfecting focus. They need you to help them center on what God would have them be, the purpose in their life. Now, we're going to take a, just an overall look at four stages of children growing up. This is a very uh, uh, survey kind of uh, sense here. We're going to talk this week about small children, next week about pre-adolescence, <laughs> next week about teenagers, and then, uh, lastly, about young adults. Let me say at the beginning of this that I know that as I preach about this, uh, Satan is going to be roaming around uh, wanting uh, to tear all of you down and discourage all of you. Many of you will see where you missed the boat and you're going to be all, you know, feeling awful. And let me encourage you not to feel that way. These messages are for the purpose of encouragement. And I'll tell you a little bit later on, maybe some things that you can do in the corrective sense. But most of these messages have to do with uh, the preventative sense. I want to preach to you the ideal, as I do with everything. And I full well realize that everybody, my own household included, has fallen short of the ideal. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't understand what the ideal is. I also want to say to you that I recognize... And I hope you recognize, by way of encouragement, that if you have small children, that if you do it right, this will be absolutely the most exhausting time of your life. Now, that doesn't sound like encouragement until you hear the rest of it. It gets better from here. It gets better from here. You know, God has given us children with a certain price to pay. And where you want to pay the price, you can pay the price. but you've got to pay it somewhere. If you don't pay it, all the rest of us have to pay it. And so, here's the key. It is so much easier to expend the energy that you're going to need at the beginning of their lives than it is to try to expend it at the end, because it is so much more difficult down the road. This stage of life will cost you almost everything you have in physical and emotional energy. Because of a distinct advantage your children have over you. There are really two advantages. Number one, they have much more physical energy than you do. You've had them, you're tired. And, 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 and they have this uncanny resilience that you just, you know, your body's getting on with life. And, and you just don't have, it doesn't spring back automatically. The other thing that they have that you don't have is time. You know, if you talk about kids ages 1 to 10, let's just choose 5, somewhere in the middle. Have you got anything other on your agenda than to have an argument with a 5-year-old? The answer is absolutely. You've got about a thousand things on your agenda that you need to be doing besides having an argument with a 5-year-old. Do they have anything else on their agenda that they need to be doing? <laughs> absolutely not. They're enjoying it. Come on, let's come on, i got all day for this. You know, I'm enjoying the attention. Thank you very much. So therefore you've got to realize that you're starting out at a distinct disadvantage. And I want to I want to tell you hang in there. Don't give up. Don't let them win at this stage. It's very important to them that you don't. And I also want to tell you one more thing. Being a mature Christian does not automatically translate into being a good parent. Does that surprise you? They are two complementary but different skills. Some of the finest Christian people you know are absolute weenies when it comes to being parents. They are the nicest people in the world, and when you have young children, you cannot afford to be nice. This is not only true for the people that you New, but it's true for the people that you've read about in the Bible. Some of the most fantastic spiritual leaders in the history of Christianity, in the history of the Hebrew nation, were, were poor parents. I won't say bad parents, I'll say poor parents. There are indications that David was a poor parent. There are indications that Samuel was a poor parent. It's certainly, Eli, if you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 13 with me, You'll see that one of the finest priests ever to live stunk as a parent. I mean, God, in this passage, is coming and he is telling Samuel that he's going to render judgment on Eli. Now, look at what he says. Starting with verse 12, let's start with. Well, let's start with verse 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In the day that I will carry out against, in that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves. Now here's the key. And he did not rebuke them. Literally in Hebrew it means he did not restrain them. I believe that a priority ministry in the life of a kid from age 1 to 10 is the ministry of restraint. I believe that God is telling you, you need to restrain your kids, keep them from harming themselves and others, and developing a pattern. That they believe that freedom comes first in life. Freedom does not come first in life. Freedom only comes as a result of obedience. And that's what they need to learn. And that's what you need to teach them. And by the way, some of you need to learn that yourself. Now, if you will turn to the sermon text. I'm just getting going here. Turn to the sermon text, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. And I will read to you a verse that probably is familiar to you, whether or not you are a Christian yet. You have heard this out and about. You have heard it quoted along the way. The verse reads thusly Train up a child in the way he should go. It includes she's. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Just one verse. That's our text. Let me give you a couple of technicalities about the theology of this verse. Just for the first part of it. I want, to, I want you to see it more exactly like it reads in the original language. The word train is used advisedly. Notice it does not say teach your child. It says train your child. You train young children not unlike you train animals. Now, please, I'm not calling your kid an animal. That's up to you. But I'm saying this, that when your kid is young, they do not have the full capacity for understanding, and you should not wait for their full understanding before you demand obedience. Training children is not unlike training animals. It is a process of repetition, of reward and pain, to teach them what is good for their lives, and to teach them what will help them achieve in their lives, and so therefore they use this word very exactly. And let me tell you one more thing about the word. In the original Hebrew, the word is Hanak, and and and, and uh, we get the word, or the Jews get the word Hanukkah from it. It means to dedicate. And so this is not an educational alternative. This is a spiritual obligation. This is a way that you truly dedicate your children to the Lord. We did this on purpose tonight. What you saw tonight was a delightful and, and pointed uh, ceremony. And it said what was on the hearts of the parents. And it was wonderful. I love watching kids. You can already see the different personalities of the kids up here. I mean, you can just, you can pick up. I don't know who the kid was. What's the kid's name in the blue suit? Alexander, man, that kid's... He, he, had, he had eye contact. He was, he was never out of control the whole time. He was talking to the crowd, like reaching for his mom's nose, watching the, watching the thing. I mean, he was... The kid, there he is, See? In the blue suit. See? Well, I'll, I'll, get, to, I'll get to that in a minute. But, but here's what I want you to see about this word. What you saw tonight was the tip of the dedication. What you see as the parents train... The children unto the Lord is the real act of dedication. It is the repetitive act of dedication. It is the spiritual act of dedication. Because obedience has everything to do with faith. And therefore, you need to know that training is repetitive. It's not primarily educational. And it is a dedication to the Lord. Now, let me go a little bit further in the sentence. It says... Train up a child in the way he should go or she should go. Originally, again, the, the, the language literally is, is in the way that they are going, or in the way that, uh, in, in our language, it would be in the way that they are, uh, in the way of who they are, in, in the way of uh, how they're wired, in, in, in the way that's appropriate to them. You see, every kid is different. What we teach them is the same because what we teach them, the moral law of God and the holiness of God applies to everyone everywhere. This is a universal truth. But how we teach them has to apply to the individual life of the child because every kid is wired differently. Now, and again, in Hebrew, there's, there are two senses of this word. One is that every kid has a different personality. I told you last week, if you watch your kid long enough, you'll see... Uniqueness. You'll see patterns. You'll see buttons that are in that kid that aren't in everybody. You know? And so that's a very key part of parenting them. The word also, though, has a future sense to it. And it means in the way that they will be someday, in a way according to their calling, in a way according to their future station. You can predict by watching a kid kind of, how they're going to be, or what kind of gift. Let's just use the the term spiritual gift. What kind of spiritual gift they're going to have. You can watch it because God wires people in a certain direction. Now, for those of you who know the spiritual gifts, let me just use this analogy. Say you've got a kid, and you're trying to teach him right from wrong, and you say, don't do that, that's wrong. And most, most kids will say, why is that wrong? And your first response will be, "It's wrong because it says in here it's wrong. It's not right. It's wrong. I told you it's wrong. It's wrong." Now, if your kid is going to be wired to be a prophet, a prophet, a prophet is somebody who sees black and white, and they want to tell, they want to tell everybody what's right and what's wrong. I mean, that's their main concern, and they'll just stand right in your face. They don't care about your feelings. They don't care about education. Yeah, I want to tell you what's right and wrong. You ever Black and white people. You ever seen people like that? You have some of those in your life. They have this very highly developed sense of morality that is absolutely uh, imperative to them that they tell somebody right and wrong. Well, if you get a kid down here and you say, don't do that, that's wrong. Why? Because I said it's wrong. It's wrong in the Bible. It's wrong. It's not right. It's wrong. If they're a prophet, they'll go, okay, good enough. I'll go tell everybody. You know? I'll look for other people doing this thing, and I'll tell them it's wrong. That's all you got to go. That's all the further you have got to go with the prophet. But watch this. Say you've got a kid who is wired to be a teacher. They're more into. They're more interested in reasons. They're more interested in in uh, how the world is organized. They're more inter- interested in, in, in what is uh, uh, effective and what is uh, what makes sense. What is logical? What is smart? You know? Well, you tell a kid, don't do that, that's wrong. And they say, why is it wrong? So say, well, because it's wrong. Yeah, but why is it wrong? When you get that, yeah, but why is it wrong? Why is it wrong? You know you've got another gift other than prophecy. And so if you've got a teacher, you've watched them, you know? They're really oriented toward the intellectual. Then you start saying stuff like this It's wrong because the more you do it, the less the world will be organized. It'll start coming apart, and the world won't make any sense anymore. And the more you do it, the more stupid your life becomes. And they'll start saying, "Man, I don't want my life to be stupid. I mean, I'm smart. I don't want to be stupid." And they'll quit. You, you see, you see, a kid. Some of you got kids who are real tender. I, I never had any real tender kids. You know, I'd, I'd go, you know, I'd go like it, and they'd go like it back. You know, some, <laughs> some kids, some kids will just look at them the wrong when they go pooh. You look at me bad. They just start pouring a lot. Cheers. And, you know? Watch a TV thing. It's a little bit sad. Or, you know, a McDonald's commercial or something. is tender. You know? They're, woo, yeah, yeah. Real tender. You know? Down here, boy, those kids wired for mercy. Those kids are the ones that will come up and say, How are you? Oh, how are you? You know? They got this. They just go, they'll, they'll cry with you. Then they'll just go. See? You tell a kid, that's wrong well why is it wrong What's well, just wrong what? yeah but why is it wrong you, you see a kid tender you say because you know what if you do that someday somebody is going to get hurt somebody you love you tell them the story about Pharaoh remember Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 5 and, and he says who is this God that I should obey him and so he hardened his heart and he didn't obey God he did the wrong thing what happened to Pharaoh nothing but what happened to the people who loved him his son died. His soldiers who followed him died. And so you take a look at a kid who's wired like this say, you know what, if you do the wrong thing, it may not be you who suffers, but it may be the people you love who suffer. Oh, no. I don't want them to hurt. Bingo. It just made sense to them. See? You, you, you have a kid who's going to be a leader. Maybe little Alexander, I think he's going to be a leader someday. See? Yeah. He just didn't. All right. Come on. You've seen kids. They come out. They go, come follow me. Come on. Come on. I'll tell you what to do. Come here. Come here. You tell a kid like that what's wrong and say, why is it wrong? You say, it's wrong because if you can't act right, who's going to follow you? If you can't put this in practice in your life, nobody's nobody's going to look to you for leadership. That's good enough for them. See? So you see what I'm saying? Train up a child in the way he should go. In a way that he can make the connection. And when he is old, it will not depart from him and he will not depart from it now let me tell you two things that are very important i cannot encourage you enough as parents i cannot encourage you enough at this stage to absolutely demand obedience from your children now listen i'm not talking mean here i'm not i'm not talking abuse i'm not talking being being control freaks being a a parent in command is not the same thing as being anal retentive it's not the same thing. By the way, we had somebody signing this morning. I couldn't even look at what she how she signed that. <laughs> I'm really hoping she spelled it out. I'm sorry. It's, it's been a long day. I'm getting a little punchy. I'm sorry. All right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyhow, what I'm talking about is absolutely demanding that your kids obey you. Now, let me give you the first reason. Because in order to feel secure, watch this, your kids must know that the one running their world is not only smarter than they are, but stronger than they are. Vernon had a quote from Oswald Chambers that said, every sin starts with the suspicion that God's really not good. I'd like to add something to that. I think every sin starts with the suspicion that God's not really strong enough to take care of you if you you disobey Him. I really believe that. And so, what is God's representative with skin on? You are. You are. And your kid needs to know that you are stronger than they are. Why? Because this world out here is scary. It's a scary place. I don't know if you can remember what it was like to be uh, six, seven, eight years old. You go to school. It's scary. People pick on you. It's scary. There's mean people out there. You look at the news every night. You start to get scared. You say, man, it's horrible out there. You watch a scary movie. You can't tell the difference between real monsters and fake monsters. The whole thing looks like it's coming apart. Now, what do you think a kid feels like if he is so smart or so strong that he is stronger than his parents? You know where that where that puts him? That puts him right on the front lines of the scary world. Because his parents aren't even strong enough to outstrengthen him. How in the world are they going to protect him? You understand? Your kids need to know. That you are stronger than the one who loves them is not only smarter than they are, but is stronger than they are. It may frustrate their nature that they got from Adam and Eve, but ultimately it will make them feel more secure because they know very well they haven't got the equipment to be in charge of their own world. And when they are in charge of their own world, they're going to get mad that they're in charge of their own world. They test you for a reason. We raised three, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to talk about strong-willed boys tonight. I was a strong-willed boy, and my mother, Let me. I, I think I've already said to you that, uh, or if I haven't, I realize there are a number of single parents in this, in this place tonight, and, I, and, and most of you are single mothers. Let me give a word of encouragement to you in case I haven't said this already. You can do this deal. You can do this deal. It's easier if you have to, everybody knows that. Because you can tag team it. Anybody who watches wrestling knows what that means, you know. You get tired, you tag your partner, they come in and fight a while. You say, I can't do this anymore, you got to do it. And they come in and fight a while, you know. But I want to tell you, as a single parent, you can, I was raised by a single parent. And my mother weighed 90 pounds soaking wet. And she had more problems than you could shake a stick at. But let me tell you, I would have put her up against Saddam Hussein or whoever there was. <laughs> terrorizing the world and she would have taken them down. She was that strong. So you can do this deal even if you're a single parent it's just going to be tougher. Now let me tell you what is important when it comes to raising a strong-willed child. It's important to do whatever you can do at this stage if you can't outsmart them to physically overcome them. Yes, I said physically overcome them. I used to have you know, these, these, these kids would, would be just, you know, and Beck would leave and say, okay, take care of the boys. Man, they'd look at me and want to know who's boss. Say, see, see, Becky, Becky's a tough gal. I mean, she's tough. You don't get anything past Becky. So then they were going to test bad out, you know. And we'd be out in the mall and she'd say, I've got to go to this store. And there's three boys. And they'd start heading for the crystal store or something, you know. <laughs> and I'd bring them back. They'd head out. Bring them back, head out. Smack them on the butt. And they'd turn around and look at me and say, is that all you got? Come on. I mean, they were ready to take... And then I'd give them what I used to call the holy hug. I'd take their little arms, and I'd just fold their little arms inside mine, and I'd just hold them. you know what happens when you hold a strong-willed, rebellious kid until they can't move? They go absolutely ballistic. And I'd just watch them go off. Man, they were screaming and crying and calling for help. Kind of biting me. And I, uh, go ahead. I love you too much to let you do wrong or do harm. I'm not going to let you do that. And man, they'd finally come down to the point where they were so exhausted they couldn't go. And you know what happened after that? We were buddies again. We were buddies. They were glad to know that the one who loved them and the one prevented them to, from doing harm to themselves or anybody else was stronger than they were. Your kids at this age are like security cops. Night watchmen, you know, they'll check every door to see if it's open. Uh, These doors representing your life. They'll punch whatever button in your life to see if they can get an opening. See if they can find a weakness. Now what happens when a night watchman finds a door unlocked? Is that a good thing? No. Because it means behind it there's danger. Of course, it's your kid's job, it's your kid's nature to see if there's any weakness in you. But I want to tell you, every time he finds one, he doesn't like it. Because it means his life is that much more unsafe. The safest life in this world is the most obedient life. When you're a soldier and you're going out into combat, you are most safe if you have two things. A CO, a commanding officer that knows what he's talking about. And two, training for absolutely instantaneous obedience. You walk into, firing, you walk into the firing uh, uh, realm and your commanding officer says, Hit the dirt. The safest ones are those with a second nature that immediately go down. The most unsafe ones are the ones who say, like, Well, I, want to, I just want to see who's firing up here. See? He's, he's totally vulnerable. And kids know that. It is so important that they know that the one who cares for them knows better than they do and is stronger than they are and loves them the whole time but does whatever necessary to constrain them. It's important for their safety, but it's also important for another reason. It's important for their success. You see, obedience isn't just a matter of safety. It's a matter of success. It's not just the safest people in the world that are obedient. It's the most successful people in the world that are obedient. It's the, one, it's the ones who have gone over the fundamentals of life enough to know that anything you're going to do well, you're going to work for. And anything that, that, that is fun is a result of Doing what was necessary in order to get that fund. You see, every kid comes out wanting what he wants right now. But as soon as he gets what he wants, what happens? He doesn't want what he's gotten. Every kid wants to take a shortcut. But every kid, once he takes a short- shortcut, learns that, that he, there's disappointment. No. The kid who is going to achieve long term is the kid who has done the positive thing again and again and again so that he has this firm foundation built up. And that's where you come in as parents. Your job is not only to constrain them from evil, it is to input into their lives good. And you know what that means? That means taking the initiative to teach them the scriptures every day. Every day. Now, I know some of you are saying, you know, my kids... You know, they're so angry at the end of the day, I just don't think their heart's right for it. Well, let me tell you something. You're absolutely right. Their heart isn't right for it. But don't let that determine whether or not you do it. I watched my wife every night that my kids were growing up. Every night she'd call them in at the end of the day for devotions. Now, my wife, by, by, I was mostly going to meetings, and that's why she had to do it. But, but my wife was so tired by the end of the day she was just putting one foot in front of the other. She'd come to me and she'd say every day, Hunter, I just absolutely feel like a witch. Anybody feel like that? At the end of it, I feel like a witch. If you feel like that, you're probably doing something right. Because she had, she had gone at every particular uh, a, uh, uh, event, and she had corrected every place she knew how. And she felt like that's all she did. And then at the end of the day, what was her job? To call the boys in for Bible study to read them at least one story out of the Bible so she was putting into their minds all the time what they would need to be successful later on. Now, how many times do you think Becky was in the mood for that? Hardly ever. How many times do you think the boys were in the mood for that? <laughs> Are you kidding? I've got to go to bed, and first I've got to take a bath? Are you kidding? No. Every night, man, they'd stomp in there matter and hop they wanted to do their old thing. But every night, Becky said, No. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do this and we're going to pray. And I don't care what you're I don't care what kind of mood you're in. Your heart doesn't have to be right. I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you this stuff, and it will have an effect because the word does not return void. And so we'd, she'd watch them, and I'd watch them. And and about two minutes into them, they were listening. See? And 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 their mood would change because they knew they could not overcome what was good for them. Now Let me just say to you, by the time you get into an emergency situation when you're an adult, it is too late to learn the Scriptures that are going to come to you automatically. You can go back and check out the Scriptures, and you should. You should search the Scriptures, but they are not in you. That takes preparation. By the time you get in an emergency situation, and it dawns on you, you better start developing a relationship with God, it's too late to develop a full, comforting, strengthened relationship with God that automatically overcomes the situation. Oh, it's never too late to ask for forgiveness. It's never too late to get correction. But you won't have what you need if you wait till then, and neither will your kids. They need it now. It is a principle of going through the narrow, hard way first, because that's better. Jesus said in the seventh chapter of... Uh, Matthew. He says, Choose the narrow gate. He says, For the way is, is broad and, and easy that leads to destruction. And, and many are those who go that way, who find it. Most of, the, most of the people in this world, given two choices, will always take the easiest one. But what will happen is exactly what I've told you they will always be disappointed. Jesus said, No, think about this. He said the way is narrow and difficult that leads to life and few are those who find it. But yet he said choose that. Why? Because it is the fundamental principles of life that give you the strength that you need to absolutely achieve the maximum in life. We saw at least two little girls that had lovely voices tonight, didn't we? I mean beautiful. I could never sing like that. I don't care how many lessons I had, I could never sing like that. And here they are, nine and ten years old. You know, phew, you know, six hundred people. You know, it doesn't just start, they're just going at it. See? Now, what would be the worst thing to do to those girls? The Worst thing to do to those girls? Say, I see you've got some natural talent there. Take off, do whatever you want, sing all the time. You know? What would be the best thing to do? The best thing to do would be to get them a teacher to develop those voices. So that they could learn the broad range of what their voice could do. So that they could appreciate all kinds of music. So that they could, through practice, have better control of their voice. So that someday when they sing, it was an act of grace and inspiration and not just of raw, untrained talent. Do you think Pavarotti didn't take lessons? He had a wonderful natural voice, but because he had that natural voice, that's the very reason he went back to the fundamentals. It is so important that we learn that whatever we want to achieve, whatever we've got uh, as, a, as, a part, as a natural inclination right now, we need training for. That's whether that goes for for art. You know, do you think a ballerina just straps on a tutu one day and spins across the stage? No, it's hours and weeks and years of training in the fundamentals. Do you think some some kid who is a uh, pretty good at neighborhood football, just plays for the pros someday. No, it's, it's he gets a coach and they teach him where to put his feet and they teach him how to think and they teach him how to react and then when it becomes second nature, then he starts to develop the natural talent he has. But not before he's gotten those fundamentals. Look at what Jesus says, I'm sorry, look at what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Let me show you this. He says, You you therefore, my son, talking to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Look at the third verse. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ. Now what sense does that make? You know what grace is. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. All of the blessings that you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. But grace is getting what you don't deserve. And all of us are free in Jesus Christ to live in the grace of God. Jesus paid it all on the cross for us. And so therefore we don't have to be legalistic anymore. We don't have to be afraid anymore. We don't have to think that every time I do a little sin, if I don't say a prayer for it and don't repent, I'm going to hell. We are totally out of fear. We we don't need to be afraid anymore. It's a wonderful, free life to live. But let me ask you, what came first in the Bible? The law or grace? No, the law came first as the foundation for grace. And the law must come first in your children's lives. Obedience must come first in your children's lives or they will never learn to trust and excel at grace. And that's why when Paul was writing this, he gave three metaphors for freedom. He said, first, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of every day so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Was it, what does it take to be a hero? How much training do you think it takes to be a soldier? Those of you who have been in the military knows... It takes training every day, every day, every day, for month after month after month after month until it becomes second nature to you. And then, one day, you might please the one who has enlisted you. You don't do that right away. You need the training. Look at the next metaphor. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. You see? What What do you have to do before you can win? You have to play according to the rules. You have to learn obedience to the rules. You have to operate within the rules. Look at the third one. And the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. What do you have to do before you can reap? You've got to plant. And then you've got to cultivate. And at the end of that, if you've done both those well, then you can reap and you can be the first to share in the crops. Your kids need to know and some of you need to be reminded that obedience is absolutely essential to your freedom. Freedom does not come first. Obedience yields freedom. And it it yields a wonderful life of grace and achievement. Most of you know that I teach seminarians. And I teach them in their third year. I teach leadership, church leadership. And I usually have 20, 30 guys that are ready to come out and be pastors in the very next, in the, in the coming months. And, and the main thing on their mind is, how can I go into the parish and be the most effective pastor and not get fired? And they come in with all of these questions. They're worried about so much, so many things. You know, what if this happens? What if this happens? Well, what said this happens, you know, and then what do you do here? And I look, like, I look at them like I'm looking at... Like Jesus looked at Martha, you know. Jesus looked at Martha she was going all over the place trying to do everything. And he looked at her and he said, Martha, you are worried about so many things. How how many in here tonight would that description fit? If Jesus looked at you, wouldn't he say that you are worried about so many things? And then he paused and he said this. You know what? Only a few things are important. Really only one. That one, of course, is following Christ. But the few things that are important are important for, for all of us. And if we can get these fundamentals into our lives, and we can get them into the lives of our kids, they will yield freedom and grace. I tell the seminarians, you've got to do three basic things. First of all, you've got to develop your relationship with God unto personal holiness. You have to be in the Word every day. You've got to be in prayer every day. If you aren't doing that, the rest of it will cave in. The rest of it will cave in. Secondly, you've simply got to love those who God sends you one at a time. Don't worry about the crowd. Just love those who God puts in front of you. That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't run out and say, I've got to save the world today. Whoever came into his path, that's who he loved. That's who he poured his life into. Very simple. And third, you've got to develop your calling. Whatever that calling is, just a day at a time, just a step at a time. Don't worry about all the rest of that. Just be faithful with the fundamentals every day. And that will yield freedom and maturity for you and for your children. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time. Thank you so much for the children that you give us to remind us what we need Lord, we would pray tonight that you would make us obedient. Obedient unto freedom. Obedient unto pleasing you. Obedient unto achievement. Obedient unto safety. And Father, we pray for all of the parents in this, in this place tonight or for all of those who, who teach children of that age, for all of the Sunday school teachers, for all the aunts and uncles or grandparents who, who have input into the lives of kids of that age. God, we pray for their persistence. We pray for their strength. And we pray for their perseverance. May they give the kind of love that outstrengthens and outlasts rebellion for the sake of the children, for the building of the kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.